Okay, well, I am once again very glad to be here this evening. And I didn't realize until I went to post the audio from last week on my website yesterday how long I went last time. So I'm going to try to keep my eye on the clock back there and uh, do a little better job of being more succinct. So, um, Isaac, would you open us in a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we had earlier to play games, Lord. We thank you that uh, nobody was seriously hurt. Lord, you just uh, finish and help us now to focus in on your word, Lord. Pray that you would give Andrew the words to say. Pray that we would all be attentive and be able to uh, learn something more about you and be able to uh, grow closer to you in our walk, Lord. We just pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Isaac. Yeah, last week, if you recall, uh, we did a little bit of an introductory lesson, and we talked about. Well, does anybody remember what the main what the main title of my of my talk last week was? And the main point that I had that I made three different times. Does anybody remember it? What was it, Ben? God uses people that uh, that we wouldn't choose to accomplish His purpose. Absolutely, and He uses people that can't. That's it's kind of a it's kind of a it's the opposite of the world because the prerequisite of being used by God is realizing that you can't be used by God in a sense because God needs to. Have room for him to do the work. And today we're going to start a three-part series. Um, I will not be here next week because I have something else going on. But the following week and then July 8th, July 1st and July 8th, I will be here finishing up the series. But today we're going to talk about the first three in a list of ten unchangeables, which I discovered at a seminar that I went to. I have to give full credit to Bill Gothard and the Institute in Basic Life Principles because this is not original material. At least the points aren't original. Much of the study is. I, I really worked on this. But um, that's where the credit belongs. And we're going to start with an introduction. We all have things in our life that we would like to change. And some things we can change. We can change schools. If we're not doing well in a particular school, we can change majors. I know some people change their college major many times over before they graduate. We can even, to some extent, change our friends, although that is, can be a perilous thing. But the point is, some things we can change. But I want to talk to you over the next few weeks about ten things that we can't change. That often, at one point or another in our lives, we have wanted to. I'm going to only cover three tonight, because if I tried to cover all ten, we would be here until tomorrow morning. And unfortunately, I don't have that much time. So, the first one I want to cover is our parents. And I want to go in an interesting direction when I talk about this one because I realize, you know, hopefully most of you have a good relationship with your parents. I don't know where you're coming from. 
you, you might have a hard home life. But hopefully you have the blessing of parents that are good to you and have done the right thing by you. But I want to talk about one particular person in the Bible, which you might not have realized, but his parents probably had a great deal to do with how he turned out. I want to talk to you about Boaz. I don't know if you know the story of Ruth, but Boaz was um, a an, uh, a great man in the town of, in the in the country of Israel, who had um, it, it appears that he had great wealth. He had big fields where people were working hard, working harvesting grain. And Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth came over from the country of Moab. Naomi and her husband and her two sons had gone over to Moab because there was a famine in the land of Israel. And so they went to Moab, which wasn't really a good idea because God really wanted the Israelites to be with their own people, to not mingle with the foreigners because He wanted them to serve Him and Him alone. You know, when, when Ben was talking about giving me your undivided attention, he, he kind of quoted a Bible verse. Because, because there is a Bible verse, and I mentioned it last week, where God says, I'm a jealous God and I will share my glory with none other. Well, anyway, we don't know all the details of it, but we do know that they went down to Moab. And we know that first Elimelech the father died and then the two sons died. So that left his wife and his son's wives with no resources. Well, Naomi realized that the famine was over in Israel. So she decides to go back. And she tells her daughters-in-law to go back to their families. And one of them does. Orpah does. But Ruth says, don't ask me to leave you because where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your God will be my God and your people will be my people and where you die, I will die. So she said, I'm not going to leave you. And the most important thing is, is she said, your God will be my God. So she made a decision to follow the God of Israel and to be there for her mother-in-law. So she went over to Israel, this strange land. Their poor um, women of that day did not have their own industry for the most part. So they didn't really have anybody specifically to rely on. But Ruth comes to Boaz's field to glean. And what that means is that when the reapers are picking up the harvest, they will would sometimes drop some grain and then the poor widows of the area could pick it up. Well, Boaz notices Ruth and he has heard good things about her. He's heard that she's a virtuous woman, that she came over with her mother-in-law and he is going to... He's going to check out this girl. So he gets to know her, and he decides that he really likes her. So he says, I'm going to leave her extra grain. He tells the men, leave her extra grain, make sure she has plenty. 
So she keeps going to Boaz, and then Naomi realizes that Boaz is a near kinsman, which means that he is a, a, a fairly close relative. And in that day, if you had a close relative and your spouse was dead, then it was an opportunity for that close relative to marry you and to give you children, to give your husband. So Boaz decides through through the wisdom of Naomi actually because Naomi sends Ruth to Boaz in the middle of the night this is really an intriguing story if you want to go and read it and it's not very long because it's only a four chapter book but Ruth goes to Boaz in the middle of the night she lays at his feet and Boaz promises her that night that he's going to take care of her if someone who isn't even near a kinsman decides not to do it so Boaz gets the opportunity to marry um, Ruth and she becomes part of the line of David which of course becomes the line to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Why did I bring this up in the matter of parents? Because in Joshua 6, we see the story of Rahab. Now Rahab was a harlot. She was a woman of ill, Ill repute. She, she did some pretty evil, vile things. But she believed God. She believed who He was. She believed His power. And so when she hid the spies, they said, well, if you spare us, we will spare you. They said, if you hang out a, a red cord, we'll know where you are. We'll come and get you before we destroy Jericho. So she gets rescued, and it says in Joshua six twenty two and twenty three. But Joshua had said unto the men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swore unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father, and her mother and her brethren, and all that she had. And they brought out all their kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. So she aligns herself with the Israelites. And interestingly enough, you then read in Matthew 1.5, And Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse. And so you see how Boaz joined the line of Jesus. Because Rahab, this harlot, she turned her heart to God and had an opportunity to be a part of the lineage of our Savior. And I was thinking about this story because Ruth was a Moabitess. And going to Israel as a foreigner, it would seem that nobody would want to marry her because she was a foreigner. She wasn't an Israelite. But Boaz decides that she has the virtue, that she's serving the living God, and so he decides, I'm going, I'm going to marry her, and I'm going to give her my, what, I, what I have. And then he has Obed, who, is a, who has Jesse, who has David, and so on and so forth. It says, And Boaz said unto all the elders of the people, this is, this is um, Ruth, uh, Chapter 4, 9 and 10. says, Boaz said unto all the elders of the people, 
ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Melion's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place ye are witnesses this day. And I think, to me, when I looked at this story, I, I thought about the fact that perhaps it was because of his Gentile, his non-Jewish mother, Rahab, who he saw as a virtuous woman after she was changed by God. Now some people debate whether it was the same Rahab, and I'm not here to get into a scholarly debate, but I, I have reason to believe that it was. But anyway, perhaps it was that that persuaded, them, persuaded him to realize that just because she was a foreigner didn't mean that she wasn't a good choice for a wife. I say this only to say that sometimes the parents that we're given are given to us because they are meant to prepare us for our future calling from God. And I want to, before I leave the topic of parents, I want to challenge you. Even if you have parents that don't believe and they don't love the Lord, they still deserve your honor because God set them over you and it's possible that by your example you can show them the way to Jesus Christ the second thing I want to talk about is physical features this was a big one for me for those of you that um, were here last week you heard my story and kind of the journey that I went on to get to the point where I am today and if you haven't heard it you can go to my website which I'll give you the information of afterwards during snack time and you can check that out but the point being God has a different way of looking at people than we do in 1 Samuel 16:7 it says but the Lord said unto Samuel this is when he goes to anoint David king. He says, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So, you know, if you know the story of David, Samuel went, and he went through all of David's older siblings, and he kept thinking, this is the one, this is... This is the one God must have because he's big and strong. And then David doesn't even get called originally to to the to the um, assembly to see the prophet because nobody would have ever thought him to be king. But it turns out that he was the one, so they waited until he came, and then he was anointed king. In Psalm one thirty nine thirteen to sixteen, it says, "For thou hast possessed my reins." Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of, my, of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, 
which in continuance were fashion, when as yet there were none of them. Basically what this is saying is that God had a plan for you before you even existed. So, since God lives outside of the boundaries of time, it's quite possible. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that when Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross, paying for our sins, He was thinking about you. And He was thinking about how you would be here this day under the sound of His Word. How you would have an opportunity to embrace a relationship with your Creator. He made you for a purpose. And the biggest problem we run into is when we try to fulfill other people's purposes for life in our own life. Instead of finding our own and doing it with all of our might. The third and final point that I want to make to you tonight is about gender. Whether you're a boy or a girl. This again is part of God's miraculous plan for your life. The first subpoint: God created you in His image. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He him. Male and female created He them. So He created you in His image. And He created male and female as unique expressions of who He is. Separate expressions of who He is. Today there's a great pressure on girls to be and do everything that boys can do. And there's a certain level to which that's appropriate, but there's a certain level to which we've gone way overboard in our culture today. Because because we, we've, we've eliminated all distinctions. You know, my, my sister, when she was going through high school and getting ready to graduate, she got a lot of flack because the only thing she wanted to do when she was done with high school is get married and raise a family. And people kept saying, well, you need to go to college. What are you going to do for college? Or you need to think about a career. And she, my parents raised her to want to be a mom and to have an influence in that way over the future generation. You know, it's because of my mom that I became a Christian. Because she was with me when I made the most important decision in my life. My mom has the opportunity to launch 11 different families into different spheres of influence in the world and to see them reach others for Christ. So don't let anybody tell you that being a mother is a secondary thing or that you have to have a career in order to make something of yourself. It's just not true. The second thing I want to bring out is that He created woman for the man 
It says in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 8 and 9, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. You know, it says in, in Genesis that God created Adam and He brought all the animals to him after He created them. And He said, Adam, you can name all these animals. And Adam went about naming all the animals and when it got to the end, there, there was nobody, there was no creature that could be a helper for the man. No helper suitable. And God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a help me. And so, he put Adam to sleep. He took one of his ribs and he made Eve and he brought her to Adam. And she was his helper. And I know you guys are a little young to be thinking about marriage in your families. And I'm not going to belabor the point. But I am going to say that even decisions that you make now can affect your ability to to successfully um, raise your family in the future. So please make sure that you make wise decisions. The proverb says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. So, for both the girls and the guys here, I encourage you to be in your Bibles, studying the Word of God. Because as you study the Word of God, you will see the woman, the type of man, the type of woman that, that God wants you to marry. And in order to find that type of spouse, you need to work on becoming that type of spouse. And growing up and becoming an adult doesn't just happen overnight when you turn 18. It starts now and begins a process where you're continually growing and maturing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul speaking, he says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. We have this modern idea called the teenager, which did not become common until a 1940 edition of the Reader's Digest. See, it used to be that you had children and adults. There was no middle ground. One thing my dad did for me is he told me when I turned 13, he said, today you're a man. You better start acting like it. Does that mean that he expected me to do everything right and to do everything that I now do at 32 when I was 13? No. But he expected me to start the journey. And I encourage you to start the journey. And to not let anybody look down on your youth. You can have fun. We had fun out there tonight. But there's a difference between fun and foolishness. And I would encourage you to 
be extra careful that your fun doesn't lapse into foolishness. And I, I'm pointing a finger back at me when I say that. Because I have problems with that sometimes. But I know that if I want to be ready to be a husband and a father, I need to not be childless. Child-ish. I need to not be childish. I need to be a man. The last point I want to make in this area is that I firmly believe that women are the best gift that man was ever given. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 31, 10 and 11, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so he shall have no need of spoil. I don't know about you, but I want a wife like that. And if I, and for you who are girls, that's something to aspire to.